Today's reading will be from Exodus 28, 1-21, Exodus 29, 1-14, and then continuing on at 42-45. Let Aaron your brother be brought to you from among the Israelites, with his son Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar, so that they may serve me as priests. Make sacred garments for your brother Aaron, to give him dignity and honor, Tell all the skilled workers to whom I have given wisdom in such matters that they are to make garments for Aaron for his consecration, so that he may serve me as priest. These are the garments they are to make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a tunic, and a turban, and a sash. They are to make these sacred garments for your brother Aaron and his sons, so that they may serve me as priests. Make them use gold and blue, purple and scarlet yarn, and fine linen. Make the ephod out of gold, and of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and of finely twisted linen. The work of skilled hands, it is to have two shoulder pieces attached to two of its corners, so that it can be fastened. Its skillfully woven waistband is to be like it, of one piece with the ephod, and made with gold, and with blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and with finely twisted linen. Take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel in the order of their birth, six names on one stone and the remaining six on the other. Engrave the names of the sons of Israel on two stones, the way a gem cutter would engrave a seal. Then mount the stones in gold filigree settings. Then fasten them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as a memorial stones for their sons of Israel." Aaron is to bear the names of, on his shoulders as a memorial before the Lord. Make gold filigree settings and two braided chains of pure gold, like a rope, and attach the chains to the settings. Fashion a breastpiece for making decisions, the work of skilled hands. Make it like the ephod, of gold and of blue, purple and scarlet yarn, and finely twisted linen. It is to be a square, a span long and a span wide and fold it double. Then mount four rows of precious stones on it. The first row shall be carnelian, chrysolite, and beryl. The second row should be turquoise, lapis lazuli, and emerald. And the third row shall be jacinth, agate, and amethyst. And the fourth row shall be topaz, onyx, and jasper. Mount them in gold filigree settings. These are to be the twelve stones, one for each of the names of the sons of Israel, and each engraved like a seal with the name of one of the twelve tribes. Exodus 29, verse 1. This is what you are to do to consecrate them, so that they may serve me as priests. Take a young bull and two rams without defect, and from the finest wheat flour make round loaves with yeast, thick loaves without yeast and with oil, olive oil mixed in, and thin loaves without yeast and brushed with olive oil. Put them in a basket and present them in it, along with the bull and two rams. Then bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance, to the tent of the meeting, and wash them with water. Take the garments and dress Aaron with the tunic, the robe, the ephod, and the ephod itself and the breastplate. Fasten the ephod on him by skillfully woven waistband. Put the turban on his head and attach the scarlet emblem to the turban. Take the anointing oil and anoint him by pouring it on his head. 
bring his sons and dress them in tunics and fasten the caps on them. The ties, then tie the sashes on Aaron and his sons. The priesthood is theirs by a lasting ordinance. Bring the bull to the front of the tent of meetings, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on it. Slaughter it in the Lord's presence at the entrance of the tent of meetings. Take some of the bull's blood and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger, and pour out the rest of it at the base of the altar. Then take all the fat of the internal organs covering the liver and both of the kidneys with the fat on them, and burn them at the altar. But burn the bull's flesh and its hide and its intestines outside the camp. It is a sin offering. Continuing at 42. For the generations to come, this burnt offering is to be made regularly at the entrance to the tent of the meeting, uh, tent of meeting before the Lord. There I will meet you and speak to you. There I will also meet with the Israelites, and the place will be consecrated by my glory. So I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar, and I will consecrate Aaron and his sons and serve me as priests. I will deliver among the Israelites and be their God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Susan. Let's, uh, uh, we're continuing this series um, through Exodus and uh, Last week, um, our service was canceled because of T8, but we recorded the sermon that was going to be preached, and it was about the furniture in the tabernacle. So uh, two weeks ago, we had the tabernacle sermon, and last week was the furniture in the tabernacle and what that means. And today, uh, we're going to continue by talking about the priesthood, the people who serve in the tabernacle. But let's pray that God will speak to us. Lord, we thank you for the promise that you are our God who speaks, who will speak to us. We thank you that you are God who uh, will meet us. So we come to you. We pray now that you will meet us through your word, that we may be shaped um, by, by you. In Jesus' name, amen. People go to all sorts of different places to meet God, don't they? I mean, it might be a quiet place like the church. For others, it might be mountains or the sea. For much of human history, people went to various places to look for God, but without any guarantee that they would be able to find God anywhere. There was no place that God promised to be. But then, in fulfillment to the promise to Abraham, God rescued Israel gave him the law, God ratified that covenant by eating with them and promised to live in a physical space. That was the tabernacle, a meeting place between God and man. And last week, then, Niels talked about f- uh, furniture of the tabernacle and the specific point uh, in which God will meet his people, which was the mercy seat on top and between the cherubim uh, where it's covered, where the blood will be spilt. On that space, God promised to meet his people. But the message throughout this text, throughout these chapters, was always mixed. Even as God longed this relationship, even as God longed to be with them, there were limitations. They couldn't enter his house. Uh, except for the priests, and no one could ever actually see the furniture inside of the holy place. The Holy of Holies, only once a year, the high priest saw. God 
the message was clear throughout the whole thing. It was saying, actually, God longs this relationship with you, but we can't have it because we are sinful. So God, in his mercy, set apart a group of people who were allowed to approach him. Take a look in chapter 28, verse 1. Have Aaron and your brothers brought to you so he and his sons may serve me as priests. Aaron and his, de- Aaron and his sons, his descendants, will be set apart, made holy as mediators, as priests of God. They would represent God to the people and people to God. But in order to do that, God gives specific instructions about what to wear, what these priests are to wear, and what kind of clothing. And, and uh, chapter 28 is mostly then about uh, the clothes. Uh, clothes. Uh, but take a look at verse 43, the conclusion of this. He says, Aaron and his sons must wear them whenever they enter the tent of meeting or approach the altar to minister in the holy place so that they will, they will not incur guilt and die. Wearing the wrong clothing, clothing, when they come in contact with God, God says, will result in death. God is holy. And even their clothes need to be set apart. They must be made holy. They must be consecrated. And you can tell a lot about a person uh, by what they wear. And that's certainly true of the priests. Uh, most of the chapter describes the clothing of the high priest. His blue robe and turban and crown, waistband, effort, and, and the breastplate. And normal priests just wore uh, a white robe and turban and the sash. And the high priests were allowed to enter into the presence of God, into the most holy place once a year because God set him apart to represent God to the people. And if you scroll down to verse 36, he was to wear something like a crown, a headpiece made out of pure gold, right? And it said there, holy to the Lord. This was a man who was set apart, made holy to the Lord. And his clothes were appropriately kingly because he was representation of God to the people. If you go back to the beginning of the chapter in verse 2 again, uh, look there. It says, make, uh, make sacrament garments for your brothers, brother Aaron to give him dignity and honor. That's literally glory and beauty. Two words that are associated with God, glory and beauty. And he was to wear an effort. Uh, so on the right side is the high priest. On the left side is a normal priest. And that effort is this sleeveless shirt, this thing, sleeveless shirt that, he, he is to, uh, that, that comes down to his knees. And it's no surprise what this cloth is made of, uh, verse 5. It's made out of gold and purple, um, blue, scarlet yarn of finely twisted linen. Do you remember when you heard that before? Does anybody remember when you heard this? It's the same fabric of the inner layer of the tabernacle. It's the heaven itself. It represents heaven and it represents God. It was the same fabric that uh, made the curtain that separated the holy, most holy place from the holy of uh, from the holy place. He was wearing heaven as his garment. And look at all the decorations on him. On his shoulders uh, were um, pieces made out of onyx, 
waistband of gold and of the same linen, breastpiece that's decorated with carnelian, crystallite, and beryl turquoise and other jewelries that I can't pronounce. The rings that set the breastplate onto the effort itself is, is pure gold because he represents God. He is God's presence among the people. But as mediators, they also represented people, right? And that reminder, I think, is fairly obvious. Uh, There were the shoulder pieces, as uh, we read in verse 11, made out of onyx. And on them were written the 12 names of Israel. So as the high priest entered, right, he was carrying Israel on his shoulders. And also his breastplate, On his breastplates were 12 uh, stones, uh, four rows, three stones on his chest and four rows. And each of these, uh, verse 15, each of these uh, precious stones bore the name of one tribe of Israel, 12 tribes of Israel. So he was representing the people to God. But in order to function as a mediator, he had to obey these strict rules about his clothing. And the warning was literally sewn in into the cloth uh, itself. At the bottom of his robe, described in verse 31, were these small adornments made like in the shape of pomegranate, but also bells. And the bells are important because it, will, it became a reminder for him. Every time he took a step forward, it made these sound, right? The sound. And what it was to remind him of is, is, have I done everything right? Each step as he's coming closer to God, have I done everything? Am I right wearing the right clo- uh, clothes? Have I done all the things that God prescribed for me to do? Because the careless worship would result in death. Even his underwear, chapter, uh, verse 42, is prescribed. I started the sermon by asking, where do you uh, go to meet God? And we pray. We pray that God would meet us. But we have to be careful about what we wish for. Because if God did appear to sinful people, what would happen? The answer from Exodus is that you would die. You would die. God is like the sun, which is good, who is good but also dangerous. As you come close to him because of his holiness and because of his righteousness, sinful people would be consumed by him, destroyed in his presence. In order for us to interact with God, we actually need a mediator, somebody who would represent us. Wearing the right clothing, people, a person who is set apart. Of course, this concept is so foreign to us because we never have to worry about dying as we approach God. And the reason why is because of Jesus. Jesus is the reason why we can still call God mired in our sin, wearing the filthy clothing of outside and inside because God met us. In Jesus Christ, he is the heavenly man. He is the perfect high priest, isn't he? The Israelites were represented by stones on the breastplate of the high priest once a year in the most holy holy place. Once a year, that was as close to God as they could get. But in Jesus, because Jesus is the meeting place between us and God, we're intimately present within the Trinitarian God himself. 
we are as close to God as, as, as it, it can be imagined. Because Christ, God-man, is our mediator. But back in the days of Exodus, this was just beyond imagination. They couldn't imagine anything like this. And it was a, just a great privilege to have God's presence inside of a tent. For the first time in history, and it was great that God in his grace instituted the priesthood, the mediators, so that God could interact with his people. And chapter 29 then describes their ordination, and we read a little bit of that, but uh, do go home and read the rest. Uh, when I was ordained, this is uh, my ordination to the diaconate, um, I was ordained in the National Cathedral in D.C., which is great, and that's my dad next to me. Korean-American priests uh, flew over. My friends were there, my seminary friends, people who were important um, to me, uh, came and celebrated with me, and we had a big meal at a restaurant afterwards. It was memorable to me, but it was nothing like the ordination here that's described in chapter 29. The requirements are very different. I mean, chapter 29, verse 1, it tells us what they needed. A young bull, two rams, two lo- uh, a round loaf of bread with lots of oil and no yeast. And when these were prepared, then they had to wash themselves They had to don the clothing, and they were then anointed with oil, verses 4 to 7. And that was the easy part. And then the sacrifices began. First, they laid hands on the bull, on the young bull, which was then slaughtered. Its blood was put on the horns of the altar, purifying it. And the rest was poured down on its base. And the rest part of the bull was then burnt at the altar, Um, uh, the the fatty parts were burnt at the altar and the rest of it was burnt right outside of the camp. And verse 11 tells us that this was sin offering. And sin offering was not eaten. It wasn't to be enjoyed by anyone. And then the first of the two rams, uh, the young uh, rams uh, were taken. Verse 15, they laid their hands on it, they slaughtered it, and the blood splashed against the side of the altar. Then it was cut into pieces and then once again burnt entirely, uh, offered to God. The third animal to die was the second ram. The ram for ordination, it says in verse 19. As before, they laid their hands on the ram and they slaughtered it, but they did something different uh, with its blood. What it did was what they did, verse 20. Its blood was put on the right lobe of the right ear and then the right thumb and the right, uh, the big toe, cleaning the top and the middle and the bottom, cleaning the entire person, consecrating them and setting them apart. The rest of it then was splashed against the side of the altar again. Then some parts of it were saved uh, to be eaten, to be given to the high priests and the priests. And the rest of it was burnt away. Then the, uh, their priest, priestly garments were set. They then went to the horns of the altar, uh, the altar took some of the blood, mixed it with lots of oil, and then sprinkled it upon the garments, upon the clothes that they were to wear, setting the clothes apart, making it holy. But that wasn't the end of it. If you look at verse 37, they did this for seven straight days. Seven straight days. 
Each day, a bull and two rams were sacrificed. For seven days, 21 animals were killed. So much blood spilled for their ordination. Why? Well, that was in verse 33. These were offerings by which atonement was made for their ordination and consecration. You see, these priests were sinful people like you and me. In order to make them holy, in order to reverse uh, the effects of death that has entered into the world, something needed to die and life needed to be spilt on them, cleansing them. Something also needed to die in their place so that they could be set apart, so they could be acceptable to God. And if you're thinking, well, I don't understand how blood of animals would clean anything, well, you're right. Later in the New Testament, the New Testament writer says this, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Hebrews chapter 10, 4. But God accepted these sacrifices and set them apart with the animal blood because of what would come later, the true sacrifice of Christ. So what Hebrews writer says in chapter 10, verse 8, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And do you hear that? It's not just the priests. It's all of us. We have been made holy, not through sacrifice of animals, but by the blood of Jesus Christ. His, his blood is spilt on us. His life is given to us. He took our place so that we could have his life. And here's what this means. According to the Anglican Church, I am ordained as a priest in the Anglican Church. But according to the Bible, you're all ordained. You're all priests. Doesn't Peter call us, uh, the, the church, a nation of priests? You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. 1 Peter 2.9. Just as these priests were set apart, we who believe in Jesus Christ, we are who are in Christ Jesus are all set apart and made holy, not by blood of animals, but by the blood of Christ Jesus. We're all priests. Well, what does that mean? First, it means we have this unprecedented access to to God. The Jewish people, if you go to Jerusalem now, are wailing at the wall. Why? Because they don't have access to God. Because the temple was where God was God promised to meet and they don't they're cut off from that access. They're wailing, they're crying because of it. But even if there was a temple, even if there were a temple, they, they wouldn't have direct access. They would have have access through priests through high priest once a year. We take it for granted, but we have this privilege greater than of a high priest. It's an unbelievable thing that we can meet God here today. You can meet God in your workplace, at home, wherever you are, wherever you pray. You have access to God. You're in the presence of God because of Jesus Christ, our mediator. Which begs the question, why don't we pray more? Why don't we use that access more? Once again, could I invite you to come and pray with us in the prayer meeting this Friday? Come. Uh, church camp is actually uh, about spiritual disciplines, and one of the th- disciplines that we'll talk about is prayer. Come to the prayer meeting. 
I mean, come to the uh, weekend away. But more importantly, just pray. Pray wherever you are because this is an unbelievable privilege given for the Christian and Christian only. But this privilege is given not just for us, but for the rest of the world. That's our priestly duty to intercede for the rest of the world, for people who are the world that is aching, the world that desperately needs the gospel, the world that is at at, at war, a world that is not right. This access should be used to bless others around us because we represent the people to God. And we'll hear more about that, how Moses uses his priesthood for the others in the coming weeks. Secondly, our priesthood means that we are more sinful than we think we are, but we're unimaginably more loved than we think we are. I listen to sermons regularly, um, sermons of different people, but I, as I, I recently heard a sermon about how precious we are in God's eyes. The preacher kept on saying how Satan lies and tells us that we aren't wonderful and we aren't precious how we ought to counter that by telling ourselves that we are precious, that we are wonderful. But while, while I was listening to the sermon, I was thinking, well, I'm not that wonderful. I'm not that precious. That's not a lie. It's just the truth. Yeah, if you know all my thoughts, you would be appalled by them. And before you start judging, aren't you glad that I don't know your thoughts and what goes on into your heart? We aren't wonderful or precious on our own. We're not there. We're all fallen, and sin affects every part of our lives, and we'll struggle with sin for the rest of our lives. That sin introduced death into our lives, and death is what we deserve. What is wonderful is that God still wanted a relationship with sinful people like us. That in order to have that relationship with us, that God set us apart through his son, Jesus Christ. And that pastor's right. I am precious. I am wonderful. But how do I know that I'm precious and wonderful? Not when I look at myself, but when I look at the cross. When I look at the cross, I know what I'm worth. I am worth the price of God's son, Jesus Christ, and his blood, That's what I'm worth. I am wonderful. I am precious because of him. That's not how much he cares for us. You see, you can't have one without the other. We need to be true to ourselves, which means that we are sinful. We we deserve God's righteous anger. But we also are precious in his eyes because we know that because of the cross. We are loved than we could ever have imagined. And this means that none of us, none of us uh, need to make sacrifices anymore to make ourselves acceptable to God, right? Because Jesus did that. No more sacrifices are necessary in order for you to be loved by God, to be acceptable to God. But there is a sacrifice that we still should offer, that we could make, that is pleasing to God. After explaining our salvation in Romans, Paul concludes in this way, that section in this way. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
We don't offer our sacrifices to make ourselves acceptable to God. The only thing that is acceptable really is Jesus Christ. But in praise and thanksgiving to what he has done, what's appropriate is that we offer our lives, every part of our lives, as living sacrifices, which means that we seek to live his way and not our own. And if you look at this, it is holy and pleasing to God. When you offer your lives, every part of your lives to him, it pleases him. It is acceptable to him. Friends, because of God's love through Christ, we are set apart as priests. We are holy to the Lord. We wear Christ's glory and beauty. We're given unprecedented access to God for ourselves and for this aching world. So let's offer our lives, every bit of it, as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. Let's pray. Lord, we give you great praise and thanks that you have set us apart and made us holy to you through your son, Jesus. Help us to take our priesthood seriously. Help us to live our lives as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen.